Well, if you've been um, regularly here over the last few weeks and months, you'll know we've been going through the prayer we call the Lord's Prayer. I'm going to read to you from Matthew chapter 6. We'll be very familiar words now, and I'm going to read this from the New International Version of the Bible, verse 9 of chapter 6. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I'm now going to read the same passage from the New American Standard Bible. And I'm going to ask you to spot the difference. So chapter 6 of... Matthew's Gospel, beginning at verse 9. Pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, if you don't have the NASB or perhaps a King James or a New King James, you probably won't have the words, for thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen. Older translations of the Bible use older texts from which to translate. And in the older text, these last words appear. Some of the more modern texts from which more modern translations come don't include those words. So the more modern translations of the Bible tend to leave them out. So the NASB, the King James, or the New King James, if you've got one of those, include those words at the end of the prayer. The NIV and more modern ones do not. It is, however, highly likely that those words were included as part of what we now know as the Lord's Prayer. And today, because of their power, we are going to spend time in this part of what we call the Lord's Prayer. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. I have a question for you this morning. How is your kingdom? That might seem a surprising question to ask you. But we all have a kingdom. My kingdom is the place where I am at the center. I am the one building my life. I am the one calling the shots. I am the one making decisions. I am the one around which everything else revolves. My kingdom is where my name is glorified. My kingdom exists to promote me, my thoughts, my wishes, my visions, my desires. In my kingdom... I am on the throne. And in my kingdom, I tend to think that my kingdom is as secure as any kingdom could be. So how is your kingdom this morning? He ruled what is arguably the biggest and greatest kingdom in human history. He was in his time effectively the ruler of the known world. He was in his time the most powerful man in the world and the most powerful man who had ever lived. He devoted himself to making his kingdom bigger and better 
and even more powerful. He expanded the road system. He founded a postal service, a police force, and a fire brigade. He introduced a program of social reform. He created a standing army for the first time in history so he could protect and expand his kingdom. He created an army so big and so powerful that it could not be challenged or defeated. And he made sure that his image was promoted throughout his empire so he had statues of himself made and placed everywhere. He had his image printed on the coins of the day. And he took the name Augustus because Augustus means lofty or serene. Caesar Augustus was devoted to extending his glory and his kingdom. And people literally worshipped him. They proclaimed him a Roman god. A kingdom like that of Caesar Augustus has never been repeated. Caesar Augustus, my kingdom, my glory, my power. One day, when Caesar was around 60 years old, he decided it would be good to count the people in his kingdom. And Caesar thought it would be good to tax all the people in his kingdom. Caesar Augustus, the most powerful man in the known world, with the biggest kingdom the world had ever seen, was building his kingdom. But Caesar Augustus had no idea of what was about to happen. In one kingdom, a census was called to the glory and power of a Roman emperor. But in another kingdom, something far bigger and far more important is coming to pass. And Luke records it this way. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. Caesar Augustus thinks he is building his kingdom where he is in control, where he calls the shots, and where he has the power. But in a little-known backwater town called Bethlehem, far away from the glory and the power of Rome, something entirely different is taking place. In Bethlehem, during the census that Caesar Augustus sets in place, biblical prophecy is being fulfilled. Truth promised centuries ago and long awaited now comes to pass in Bethlehem. Truth about another kingdom where another king is on the throne. A kingdom long promised and a kingdom long awaited. And it begs a powerfully significant question. What king is really at work here? And what kingdom is really at work here? In the Roman world, Caesar made sure everyone knew who he was and people literally fell at his feet to pay him homage. In Bethlehem, literally nobody knows what is taking place, just a few shepherds on a hillside. But there were no angels singing in Rome. And the real king who brought a far bigger and a far better kingdom, was lying in a manger in Bethlehem. So I ask you again, how is 
your kingdom. Our kingdom problem is that, in truth, like Caesar, we want to be in charge. I work really hard at building the kingdom of Ian Phillips. Sadly, I do. Our kingdom problem is that our kingdoms are all about me, and we want to be in charge. But there is another kingdom where the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. So I'm wondering, how are you building your kingdom and how is it going? When Jesus was born, he ushered in a kingdom that is different from the kingdom of Rome, from the kingdom of Ian Phillips, and from the kingdom of you. And he said that his kingdom, the kingdom that is a far bigger and a far better kingdom, is at work in the world. This is a kingdom where everyone is welcomed, a kingdom where everyone is invited in. This is a kingdom where the lost become the found, the outcast become members of the family. This is a kingdom where the lonely are comforted and the sick are healed, where the prisoner is set free. This is a kingdom where sins are forgiven, completely forgiven, and removed as far as, as the east from the west. This is the kingdom where love wins. This is the kingdom where the king loves you because he loves you, because he loves you, because he loves you, because he loves you, because he loves you. And this kingdom is the kingdom that leads to the birth of a baby in a backwater town called Bethlehem. This is a kingdom you can't always see and you don't always know is present, but this is the kingdom into which you have been invited. And when you take up the invitation to pray, your kingdom come, you commit to his kingdom. And when you take up his invitation to pray, your kingdom come, you lay down your kingdom. You give up building your kingdom and you pursue his kingdom. That's what this whole prayer is really all about, friends. I surrender my kingdom. I will pursue the kingdom of the heavens, the far bigger and far better kingdom. And I am going to invite you now, right here in these moments, to pray this prayer but through song. In these moments, as we worship together in song, you can take the opportunity to commit yourself to the kingdom begun in Bethlehem. And as we worship, you can give the king all the places where right now you are building your kingdom, your agenda, your sin, your grudges, your fears, your hopes, your dreams. And you can take these moments to build your life on the only throne that will last. And you can do what Caesar never did. You can find your way to Bethlehem. Yours is the kingdom 
and the power. Do you have any, anywhere in your life right now that you need the power of God? Do you have a need, a challenge, a relationship, a burden that you cannot manage on your own? Well, the truth is, friends, that we were not made to live in our own power. And Jesus invites us to pray for and to live in the power of Almighty God. I'm going to read to you what I'm sure is a very familiar story. If you want to follow it, you'll find it in Acts chapter 12. And I'm going to read from verse 4. And I'm reading from the NIV. After arresting him, that's Peter, he put him in prison, that's Herod, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people were gathered and were praying. Peter knocked on the outer entrance, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to meet him and answered the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was overjoyed, and she ran back without opening and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting it was so, they said, it must be an angel. But Peter kept on knocking. And when they opened the door and saw it was him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said. And then he left for another place. Peter is in prison and the church comes together to pray for him because that's what the church does, isn't it? And yet the text tells us that this was earnest prayer. Earnest prayer. They really wanted something to happen. And I'm wondering what earnest prayer would be. Keeping him safe? I'm wondering that earnest prayer meant something much more than just keeping Peter safe. While the church is praying, God is at work. The power of God through an angel sent to Peter frees Peter. Peter himself isn't really sure what's happening. You notice the angel had to wake him up. He doesn't get it till he's out of prison. And then he comes to realize exactly what has happened. God's power has freed him. And then Peter goes to where he knows the people will be praying. He knows that people will be praying for him. Now I want you to think and reflect on what happens next. People are earnestly praying for Peter. 
that God might step in and Peter might be released from prison. They are earnestly praying. In the middle of their praying, Peter arrives at the door wanting to be welcomed in. A servant girl called Rhoda is so excited that Peter is in fact at the door that she forgets to open the door. And when in her excitement she tells those who are praying earnestly for Peter that he is at the door, they don't believe her. Let's get this straight. The people praying earnestly for Peter don't believe that Peter is at the door. It begs the question, what were they really expecting as they prayed? Maybe the truth is they were praying without really believing in the power of the God to whom they were praying. And I'm wondering how much you might recognize that in your own life, friends. Because the truth is, we can do exactly the same. We can pray, but not really believe in God's power. So how are you doing, friends? Thing is, when we don't really believe in God's power, we don't really ask for God's help, and we try to do it, on our own. So how about taking up the challenge of asking God to show his power in the area of your life where you know you need it the most. If you do, you do it in the light of having just committed yourself in song to his kingdom, to his kingdom, not yours, to building his kingdom, not yours, to making him king, not you. So where do you need God's power most in your life? A regret, a temptation, a relationship, your finances, your call to mission, for the future, for the past? right now, in the present. And if you do that, you begin to live for his glory. As you commit to his kingdom, to living in his power, you begin to proclaim his glory. And when we live this prayer, the one we call the Lord's Prayer, we proclaim God's greatness with all of our being. We live in this, when we live in this prayer, we proclaim the truth about God. When we live in this prayer, we find our lives transformed and we begin to seek the things that God seeks. We desire the things that he desires. We begin to love the things that he loves. Luke records that Jesus' life ended in the same way as it had begun. Caesar Augustus decreed, and Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Caesar Tiberius decreed, and Jesus died on a cross just outside Jerusalem. But which kingdom was really at work? Caesar lived to serve his own glory. Jesus' kingdom 
is completely different. Jesus Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Caesar thought that he got Jesus to bow to him, when in fact, one day, everyone will know and will bow to the name of Jesus. One day, God's glorious, far bigger and far better kingdom will fully come and every knee will bow. But you know, friends, we don't have to wait until then because we can bow the knee now. So how about you, friends? Which kingdom are you building